There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you only look, then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's WCN-TV program. This is Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. Hope you're all doing well today. But before we get started, I would want to make sure that you all know about our upcoming event sponsored by Wisconsin Christian News. Jonathan, maybe throw the uh, poster up on the the page there for people to see. It's our Solemn Assembly and Conference, which will be held in Wausau, Wisconsin. April 14th and 15th. Our theme for the event is the great pushback against the great reset. And we have some great speakers lined up for you. We'll be starting Friday night, the 14th at 6 p.m. with Sharam Hadian from Truth in Love Ministries. And our other speakers on Saturday will include Alex Newman from the New American Magazine, Coach Dave from Past the Salt, and John Dislin, author of the Christian Warriors book, Nehemiah Strong, and along with Dr. Mike Spaulding, which you all know as our co-host here on WCN-TV. But he's a lot more than that, so you don't want to miss this. Cost for the event is just $69. You can get your tickets by going to Coach Dave's website, because our website isn't set up to do tickets. We've never done tickets before. But coaches, um, and Jonathan, maybe just go there if you show people how to get to that. You go to coachdavelive.com events. Scroll down to April 14th and 15th, and uh, there you can sign up. There you go. Sign up and register and get your tickets. Seating is limited, and we are really hoping to be sold out. So um, if you would, go there and order your tickets and reserve your seats today. This will likely be the most important event that you'll attend all year. Seriously. We'll be covering topics ranging from exposing the Great Reset, the Great Narrative, and the Great Deception, to activating the revival of godly men and women, awakening the pastors, if such a thing is possible, and also building alternative systems for education, health, freedom, food supplies, and more. So again, just go to coachdavelive.com slash events, and you can get your tickets uh, right there. So I hope to see you there April 14th and 15th, right in the heart of Wisconsin, uh, just south of Wausau. You know, the last three years have been extremely difficult for people worldwide. It seems our whole world has changed overnight. Now we find ourselves on the fast track for things like central bank digital currencies, ridiculous and drastic measures being taken under the guise of climate change and a rapid depopulation agenda. I don't know about you, but I just got my heating and electric bill, and it is just about double what I paid at this time last year. Things are even worse in Europe. And as we've been warning you for a couple of years now, we're now seeing alarming numbers of people, young and old alike, dying suddenly after receiving the jab. All of this is being pushed by the World Economic Forum, the UN, the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Creation, and our own national, state, and local governments. One of the greatest tragedies of the past three years has been the destruction of our healthcare system, which is now bought and paid for by the New World Order globalists and enemies within our own government. 
It used to be that the hospital was the best place to be when you got sick, but not anymore. Thousands of doctors, nurses, and medical industry whistleblowers have come out and stated publicly that hospitals have now become killing centers and the absolute last place you want to end up. Well, our guest today is Scott Shera, whose daughter Grace was a victim of the official hospital money-making protocols that we've talked about so many times here on the show. Before we bring Scott in, though, I just want to show you a couple of quick videos as an introduction to today's topic. These videos will lay the groundwork, and then we'll get into some startling details about new developments regarding the so-called healthcare industry that Scott will be sharing with us. So first up, let's uh, look at Dr. Peterson Pierre. Uh, he's one of America's uh, frontline doctors. This is uh, less than two minutes, but it's good. Let's take a look. So the current situation is this. If you, if you have, have COVID, COVID and you end up, end up in the hospital, hospital you're put, put on, on a rigid, rigid protocol, protocol and, and there's, there's high mortality, mortality rate in the hospital, rate in the hospital and, and your, your family, family is kept, kept in the dark, dark as to what's happening. happening. So, what's so what's going, going on, on here? Number, Number one, one, the CARES, CARES Act, Act is providing bonus payments to hospitals whenever, whenever you have, have a diagnosis of COVID. COVID. And, and then, then number two, two, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services is waiving patient rights. This is a deadly combination. So here's what happens. You get a payment because you offer a free COVID test in the emergency room. You get a boost payment if you have a diagnosis of COVID. Number three, you get another bonus payment if you are admitted with COVID. Number four, you get another bonus payment if you're put on remdesivir. Number five, another bonus payment if you're put on a mechanical ventilator. Number six, another 20% bonus if the diagnosis on your death certificate says COVID, even though you may not have died from COVID. And then number seven, there's bonus payments to coroners. Do you understand the gravity of what's happening right now? The Biden administration is literally paying hospitals to kill you. That's what's happening. This is terrible. We need to stop that. These are real human lives we're talking about. They're priceless. It's estimated at about $100,000 per patient is what the hospital's getting. Think about that. Ladies and gentlemen, the real news of right now continues. kills.com let's uh, this is about four minutes take a quick look and then uh, Scott's on next the worst pandemic in history Thousands dying from COVID every day. I'm a savage, classy, bougie, ratchet, sassy, moody. Coronavirus! Black leather, blood, no secret. Buckles on the jacket, it's a leech. Nike crossbody, got a piece. The only approved drug for COVID remdesivir, an EUA drug that killed 53% of patients in an Ebola trial. One protocol for all, a protocol funded by our government. A protocol that isolates families, that strips patients of rights a protocol that kills. 
demonizing doctors who speak out. Doctors who heal using safe and effective treatments. This, you is, written? this is a correspondence that we received from the State Board of Pharmacy, so it's up to the pharmacist's discretion. If they feel, if they feel. But they were advising you. That's it. But I don't. I don't have the medication. Do you have that correspondence that you received? I do not have a correspondence. No. So you, at your discretion, your. So what's going to happen if this patient gets sicker? What's going to happen? You can call that to another pharmacy now. Okay. If that's what you want to do. Okay. So I hope this never happens to you because you know what? It's criminal. It's ridiculous. And you know as well as I do that ivermectin is safer than Tylenol. So this is shame on you. Shame on you for, for, for doing the wrong thing and, and putting government over the patient's well-being. You're, in, you're insulting me by telling me. No, about you're insulting me because you're, you're obstructing, you're obstructing my ability to treat my patient. These places we once trusted have become deadly killing fields. Know how to survive the hospitals. Be prepared with documentation to increase your chances of survival. Everyone should have these documents filled out and notarized in case of an emergency. Learn hidden advice and tips from a top-level hospital insider. Find an advocate who is experienced in hospital care. If you find yourself in danger, contact the free hospital hostage hotline. There are no guarantees of a successful hospital rescue, so it's always best to be prepared. If they will disregard their oaths during the time of COVID, when else will they do it? It's not just COVID anymore. God said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So arm yourself with knowledge. Be prepared, not scared. Alrighty, Scott. Um, I found the uh, first part of that video to be beyond um, sick. But um, I, I wanted to show that to you, show you what's going on, um, what's been going on. Things are getting worse in the hospitals, not better. Um, just recently, um, our own local hospital that we had been using um, has been suffering from a loss of doctors. Um, I got a letter in the mail saying from my doctor saying he was retiring at the end of December. And amazingly, it turns out a lot of doctors from that particular hospital and clinic retired at the end of December. My doctor was about 40 years old, nowhere near retirement age. And a lot of these others are are leaving too. And I think their consciences, I think they probably understand what's what the protocols are and what's happening. And, and they're leaving. They're not retiring. <laughs> they're just getting out of that uh, institutional system. So, well, Scott, you have a lot of uh, new new information for us. Um, it's been a while since you've been on, but um, why don't we start with the uh, the death panels, which were sure, quietly me... implemented about uh, well, exactly about two months ago, actually. So to get to get to the death panels, we have to talk about how did how are they even able to do this? And and so what happened on November 23rd, I'll just go right to the end game, is that the Health and Human Services Secretary implemented the death panels that were originally under Obamacare. When Obamacare was passed on March 23rd of 2010, the the J uh, Senator Jay Rockefeller implemented the death panels fortunately congress rejected those but they didn't they didn't stop the the train and if you go all the way back to 1996 rob is when ezekiel emmanuel he's the architect of obamacare he made this statement i'm gonna i'm gonna read the quote he said services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed so what we're experiencing with COVID is this literal attitude 
coming alive in the hospitals. I mean, this is why Grace was murdered, is exactly because of this attitude. Grace, they would consider a useless eater, not a productive citizen, and so she doesn't deserve the care. And this is the this is the language that they're selling our society and a lot of people have bought into it thankfully these doctors are quote retiring end quote uh yeah it would be nice if they also spoke out but at least they're retiring but the the dilemma is they've set in motion the next phase already and i'm going to connect the dots so but first how are they even able to do this how was the health and human services secretary even able to to do a new death panel unilaterally and it's because we're under a public health emergency so the first public health emergency relative to covid was put in place by the health and human services secretary he decides on his own if there's a public health emergency so that was on january 31st of 2020 that public health emergency has been extended every three months and it just was extended again 13 days ago on January 11th for another three months. So while we're under a public health emergency, it gives him unilateral power to do things that are inconceivable, like put the death panels back in place. And I wanna explain why it's necessary to have death panels in this attenuated care agenda that they have. So during COVID, one of the statistics that took place is that that there was an increase in 38 of 38 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. So what they're doing is they're selling us this idea that Medicare Medicaid cost is out of control. Before COVID, there were 62 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid, and that expense was 39% of the annual federal budget. Well, now they relaxed the rules, and I believe on purpose during COVID, so that number by March is gonna be 100 million. So a 38 million increase in the number of people on Medicare and Medicaid just in the three years of the public health emergency. So you think, well, how did they pull this off? Well, they relaxed the rules. Okay, so they relaxed the rules. They always do this. The government is fantastic at, at telling you one story while they're doing something else. So they relaxed the rules. Look at, I mean, you're gonna get free healthcare under Medicare. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid, but now they dropped the other foot. So these hospitals are now going to be strapped for cash because the people aren't going, the doctors are retiring, as you said. And so now what are they going to do? Well, they're, I believe what's happening next is they're going to incentivize the nursing homes and hospice care facilities and hospice care workers. And the parallel has already happened one time in history before. During World War II, during the T4 program, once the, once the population got wise to hospitals killing the disabled, then the government empowered individual doctors and nurses to do the same thing, but not in public. So then the individual doctors and nurses carried out the the depopulation agenda then and now of course it's on steroids so the public health emergency is what gets this all rolling the public health emergency is really an extension of what is intended with obamacare so in this next 90 days i expect a lot more of these things to get implemented because they've got to handle the 100 million people that are on medicare and medicaid so that's the first piece rob i, I do want to drill that down a bit more but if you have a question first we can do that well, I was just going to comment, look at what's taking place in Canada, where they have, um, you know, legalized euthanasia now. Right. The medical assistance and dying program, the MAID program in Canada. The United States is always fantastic at covering up their sin. We project our sin onto other nations. Look at Canada. They're already assisting people in dying. That's wrong. Well, we're doing the same thing. You know, Grace was not taken out by remdesivir and a ventilator. She was taken out by end-of-life meds that you use in hospice. And there's way more, uh, there's more egregious stories than Grace's. There's a, a Down syndrome lady in Connecticut that was taken out by death row meds. So she was taken out by fentanyl, midazolam, and verconium bromide. Those are the meds you use to, to take out a... Um, an inmate that is supposed to die by lethal injection. So how would the hospital even get a hold of those meds? And this is one of those you can't make up the situation. Doctors banded together 
that knew the, the state prison facilities have these meds. And they wrote a letter to all the state prison facilities saying we need these meds for COVID. Uh, you know, it, it's these are Unbelievable. things. It's, it's hard for people to even wrap their head around around uh, what I'm talking about. I'm I'm thankful you have have these videos as introduction because they add credibility to to the things I'm going to going to say. You know, I've gotten to know Greta from Protocol Kills fairly well. You know, Greta survived being the hospital trying to kill her with remdesivir and instead of sitting still she became an advocate full-time just like i'm an advocate full-time so i i'm thankful for her um and you know the doctor that's from frontline doctors um that you had on first i mean it's fantastic i mean to have a doctor say what he said you know it adds credibility i'm just a dad you know when uh when COVID first started, um, I had an appointment with a doctor and um, actually it was before the lockdowns were actually declared. So I'm thinking it must have been like February because we got hit with lockdown weekend on uh, uh, the second weekend in March of 2020. Anyway, so I'm in the doctor's office and I'm I'm asking them what they think about this and, and uh, situation with masks and things and they're just saying this is it's all a huge hoax it's just you know there it's and they were openly talking about it with one another and with me as a patient mm -hmm. um about how it's a hoax about how it's uh it's just designed to take trump out and you know it various things but but they knew it was it was uh, a scam right from the beginning um and then once that lockdown weekend happened um, you could not go anywhere without a mask. I did, but <laughs> I mean, you couldn't go to any hospital without a mask at least. So, um, you know, that really is a, is a good lesson with uh, a number of things that are happening. So if, you know, it's, it's obviously hypothetical, but if everybody would have said no to masks at that time, it would be over. Uh, if everybody would have said no to the jab, it would be over. Uh, if everybody would have said no to masks on airplanes, that would be over. But what happens is people want to obey the government without using their heads. And then, you know, we're, we're in a world of hurt because of that. I was uh, at the post office today and there were probably, I don't know, nine people in line and three of them had masks. So, you know, I mean, good grief. It, I don't know it what seems, it takes. I don't know what it takes. What does it take, folks? Yeah. How long have we have? How long have we been dealing with this? So anyway. Well, we're um, we're trying to, you know, both you and I are in the same in the same game. We're trying to shed light on evil, and that's what it takes is shedding light on evil. But you know, the the people who hear the message also have to have receptive hearts and. You know that's that's God's economy to have their hearts be open to what we're sharing. Yeah, people are so brainwashed, so brainwashed. They, they like frogs in the in the pot of boiling water. So that's exactly right. Um, any anyway, uh, moving on. Um, this was this was startling when I when I saw this information that you passed on to me. You learned that uh, do not resuscitate laws no longer apply in hospital settings here in Wisconsin. That seems like where else would it apply than well, hospitals? I, I agree, it's complete craziness, but this is what's going on. So of course we know that do not resuscitate law does apply, nobody's above the law, but that's what is, is happening. And so how we learned of this is an investigative reporter uh, flew to our area back in August to interview me about a DNR documentary. And he started poking around. He asked me about the history and I told him about the complaint that I filed with the Department of Professional Services, which is the department that's supposed to protect the public from doctors who are not practicing correctly. So I had filed a complaint against the doctor who wrote the DNR on Grace illegally. And the department wrote back and said he did nothing wrong. 
Well, this investigative reporter started poking around and asking a lot of questions. And interestingly, I wanna just go back so people understand this letter that, that we received dated January 20th of 2022 from the department is the one that said the doctor did no wrong. Well, this investigative reporter asked for details and they, through an open records request, he ended up getting the letter that was written by the attorney the doctor hired in response to the complaint that I filed. So the department never sent that to me so that I would have a chance to comment on it. There's at least 50 lies in the letter that the attorney wrote. So, I mean, why wouldn't I have an opportunity to comment? That would make an objective investigation, but they closed the investigation after receiving that letter. So this reporter was like a bulldog. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give up saying, I mean, you guys are violating the law. So then he received this letter that I sent to you dated December 5th of 2022, a month and a half ago. And it says specifically, so this is on the department letterhead, the Department of Safety and Professional Services said chapter 154, which is the DNR statute in Wisconsin, of the Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in a hospital, non-emergency room setting, such as the one in question. So they're telling the doctors who are licensed by the state of Wisconsin, you do not have to follow the DNR laws. I mean, process what that means. That means that if you walk into a hospital, you need to have your chart online that you're watching constantly that the doctor hasn't put a DNR on you against your permission. I mean, I can't wrap my head around that. Of course, this is, that's against the law. You can't have a department override the state statute, but this is the, this is the type of things that they're feeding the doctors. So, you know, the ones that have, that are following this agenda, they've essentially turned their license over to the state in exchange for perceived safety and security. Um, it, it's it, it can't survive it can't survive the the test i mean obviously no one is above the the rule of law so thanks for asking about that rob well getting you know getting back to your your case with grace are are you are you doing anything legally um is there anything more that you can do legally on her there there is and i at this point i'm you know i'm just not allowed to talk about that on on any program so i can talk about anything anything else but sure yeah. just don't uh, you know so yes of course there's things you can do legally uh you know nobody is above the law the prep act so when i i mentioned about the public health emergency the public health emergency does two specific things so the one that was just re-upped on january 11th it continues the bonus payments that the the frontline doctor had mentioned uh it continues those bon bonus payments to the hospital and the the hospital and the doctors nurses continue to be immune from liability under the prep act well then they're not immune from murder and these type of things that are happening are the equivalent of murder and in fact i you know after 36 months into this they're doing the same thing they literally are murder and you know there's there's a number of cases that are proceeding through the system right now and um it it will uh, i hopefully come to a head soon and and we'll see uh some justice take place hmm um, on your website, which is our 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 amazinggrace.net, I think it, is it up on the is it up on the screen there? I, I see it. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, under resources, if you click that, I think that's where that is. You have a number of um, documents there that people can fill out, right? Um, under resources, resources all the way on the right. There you go. Tell us about that, Scott. Well, what's happened is is throughout this process, you you end up researching, and so when I come across things that that apply to just about everybody, I put them as resources. And the things that are of the highest priority are under the urgent tab. So, Jonathan, if you could go to the urgent tab, I'll yeah, just... that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for the um, the uh, actual document me tab. medical directives uh, yep. documents. Those are under urgent. So, if you now okay. scroll down to hospital rescues, okay, 
Oh, wrong, wrong one, but that's still urgent, but go down. To, yep, so this is uh, the same graphic that was on Greta's um, uh, video that you played earlier. And then the forms, if you go back, you'll see the forms we've linked to Greta's website under hospital uh, forms you need. So you see forms you need, scroll down one more. There you go. So that's there we go. That's yeah. Greta's website. And the reason we link to the website as opposed to providing the forms here is because I'm in contact with Greta and Laura Bartlett regularly, giving my input on these forms. They're getting other people's input on these forms and they keep making them better. So you'll get the latest and greatest by going here. How this came on the website is is um is really an example of why we're in this fight. You know, when grace was taken out, Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And on November 5th, Greta from Protocol Kills and Laura Bartlett, who has the, the hospital hostage hotline, they helped me very specifically. I received a phone call. There was a disabled man in a hospital in Green Bay, and his sister asked if I could help. I had never done a hospital rescue before. And both of those ladies uh, coached me and provided the forms so that I could go into the hospital and walk through the the situation with with the man that we rescued. My my wife ended up helping. Um, it is it's quite a story, but it shows you that the situation is still alive and well. This man uh, was 44 years old. He st he still is. He made it. So Grace died so this man can live. And his name is Robert. Um, he's 44 years old. He has SMA, which stands for spinal muscular atrophy. He only weighs 40 pounds because of that, that disease. Wow. When his sister called me and told me this, I told her bluntly, I said, you're going to think that I'm, I'm crazy, but they are going to try to kill him. And by the time uh, she got a hold of me and asked me that Robert asked me to come, you know, then I, I, went right away. But by the time I got there, they had already given him three doses of remdesivir. And in Robert's own words, the doctor told him, you have COVID. The good news is we have an antiviral and you'll be fine in three days. Most of my patients are fine in two. And what people don't realize, a three-dose dosage of remdesivir has a 75% kill rate. With Robert's weight of only 40 pounds, they had given him the equivalent of six doses by the time we got there. And it was it was quite a miracle to see him turn around right in front of our eyes. Uh, you know, Rob, I've met so many neat people in this fight, you included, and the one who I texted him and he called the hospital and helped us was, was um, Dr. Paul Merrick. So he called the hospital, walked us through what we needed to get Robert right away to help turn him around. And um, so remdesivir, or not remdesivir, ivermectin, uh, NAC, vitamin C, vitamin D. I called my wife, Cindy. She brought the things into the hospital. She Im immediately said, well, how am I going to bring these things in? Because when Grace was in the hospital, it was like under lockdown. But we had complete freedom. And so she brought the things in. We gave him the doses that Dr. Paul Merrick, suggested. Robert gets fed through a, a tube in his stomach. So we broke everything down. Um, his mom fed him through the tube. We got him out of bed, um, bathed him, um, got him in his wheelchair. Um, the, the doctor uh, that we gave the directives for him to was quite interesting. So when he first came in in the room, he was trying to portray how deadly this disease is. So he, he was literally in a spacesuit. He had a uh, beard. So he had this uh, suit that came all the way down, a mask, a shield, and, you know, trying to create this fear in Robert. And after we gave him the directives form and told him basically the gig is up, when he came in the next time, he didn't have any of the garb on. So, mm. I mean, it was, and in spite of us giving the form, and this is really an important thing, the form cannot save your life. The form is a tool. So even after we went through the form with the doctor, he knew this, we're stopping everything. A nurse came in 45 minutes later and wanted to give Robert the flu COVID vaccine. 
I mean, it, and so of course we stopped that, but I mean, that's what an advocate has to do. You cannot assume that in a hospital, they're going to follow your wishes, even though they've accepted those wishes, it's in writing, you still have to be on guard uh, because they, you know, Robert was certainly on the list to be taken out uh, because he's disabled. They want the elderly and disabled are the first to go in this agenda. And, you know, thankfully, 11 and a half hours later, we physically removed him from the hospital, got him home. Uh, Cindy went home and, and got our nebulizer. I got an oxygen machine and we met them at their home. And, you know, I, I uh, was texting Robert back and forth um, earlier this week and he said yeah he's 100 percent. so it's just wonderful to uh to have him him out of the hospital and alive but i mean if if he wouldn't have had an advocate we wouldn't have got him out and you know obviously if grace wouldn't have died the the family wouldn't have known uh we've got billboards up and that's how ultimately they got in in touch of us by contacting a friend of a friend and you know hmm. It was, was, it was, was quite, this here in Wisconsin? Yeah, it was in Green Bay. It was quite oh, a miracle wow. to watch happen. Wow. And, you know, the interesting thing is that um, uh, the things that you gave him are natural supplements. I, I assume uh, N-acetylcysteine, you mentioned, uh, vitamin D3, <laughs> zinc, you know, uh, of course, I think you mentioned uh, ivermectin. Yeah, I had ivermectin at home. So Cindy just brought my ivermectin in. The pills were were too much for Robert, so we just broke them apart. And yeah, uh, you know, for his weight, from what Doctor Merrick had told us to do, and uh, it it was just it was it was really the amazing part is that you were able to get in there and actually see him because you you know that families have been separated through this. Um, uh, not allowed to see their loved ones once they get in the hospital. They're absolutely, you know, um, isolated. I I understand. So. What I, I'd like to dive into this public health emergency so people can really connect the dots as to the power game that is being played at our expense. Um, Bef before we do that, as yeah. long as we're on this page, can we just look at the uh, the forum directives from my care? Yes, absolutely. And and tell us what, what people need to do with this. So I ended up not being able to follow all the directions because it was happening live. So mm -hmm. you know, what they're recommending, which of course I agreed to, is that you're filling out these forms ahead of time. You're fully prepared. You get them notarized. And so then you can see it's, it's obvious. I do not consent to the use of remdesivir. I do not consent to the use of uh, or receiving any vaccine. I do not consent to a ventilator. It's, you know, it's, it's common sense thing if you're awake and then you can add other things to the form, you know, ultimately then either the patient or the patient's power of attorney signs the form, you get it notarized and then you get it physically delivered by a, a delivery service. So you have proof of delivery to the hospital before you get there. That's the ideal situation. This is the literal form that Laura Bartlett, she emailed me while I was traveling to the hospital. And so I stopped at a credit union, got it printed. We never did get it notarized. So it's not a requirement, but I mean, it, it's, it just adds to your legal status if you have the document notarized. But this is the literal document we used to uh, stop the treatment in Robert's case on November 5th. Let me ask you a question, Scott. Um, now this is, um, really kind of centered around COVID-19 and all of that. Correct. But um, how important is something like this if you have someone going into the hospital or a clinic for a surgery that has nothing to do with COVID? Well, it, I think it's equally important, but it, you would change the the I do not consent. So if you're going into the hospital, for sure, you do not want to get COVID tested. That's mm -hmm. you know, absolutely number one. Number two is you absolutely do not want any DNR put on you. So those are the two that have to be there. The third one that I would add is that you do not want vaccinated blood. So those are the three things that are must-haves for going into a hospital, even for surgery. 
So this form can be modified for that by adding the the other things under the things you don't want to give consent to. And what are the chances that the hospital actually follow the directives on that form? Based on everything I know, I think the chance is 0%. And mm -hmm. that's why I, I think that you have to have a, a strong advocate with you that is literally there to protect your life. You know, the paradigm of advocacy is that the advocate is there to keep the loved one comfortable, you know, play cards, watch movies, you know, make the hospital stay, go faster. That's not the deal anymore. The advocate is there to make sure you are getting literal informed consent for every specific thing. Do not allow the hospital, the doctor, the nurse to give the patient anything unless you have informed consent. And I'm talking about literally anything. And if they won't do that, uh, you have the right to fire the doctor and, and get a different doctor, get a different hospital. This is your life you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Is it possible now, Scott, to get unvaccinated blood? We have a link on the, the website. Um, that's also, I believe, on the urgent tab. If you go there, let's just find it. Let's, yep, obtaining unvaccinated blood for surgery. So, um, so when I stumbled across this, of course, that became uh, an urgent piece of the puzzle. So obtaining unvaccinated blood requires really advanced planning because the the blood banks are not separated between vaccinated and unvaccinated. That was my question, yeah. yeah. So it's not there yet. But you can by, you know, first of all, realize your body can regenerate blood way different than what the medical profession is going to tell you. But then if you're planning for the surgery, you can donate your own blood. You know, of course, if it's an emergency, you were in a car accident, that's a whole new ball game. But if you have the opportunity to plan ahead, uh, you can you can donate your own blood, of course. Mm -hmm. That's that's very, very helpful. All right. So let's get back to what you were. You, you were about to say something else and I interrupted you. Oh, that's that's okay. You're the you're the host, Rob. Um, so what I want to do is I, I I really want to have people understand how egregious this is, and this was all pre-planned. And so what I'm going to do next is I, I'm still in the COVID era. I'm not going to go all the way back, uh, but in the COVID era, I want people to understand what the public health emergency uh, does. And so specifically. So I have my document that I dropped off here. All right, I've got it here. So I mentioned earlier on January 31st, the public health emergency was put in place unilaterally by the Health and Human Services Secretary. What he did next was on February 4th, he determined that there was a quote, public health emergency that has a significant potential to affect national security. So then because of that determination, which was done unilaterally by him, he authorized the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. That's the PREP Act that gives immunity from liability. So now we have the public health emergency in place, the PREP Act in place. And so with both of those things in place, the FDA had the authority to quote, strengthen public health protections, end quote, with emergency use authorizations, EUAs. Immediately, they approved ventilators under an EUA. So then the next thing is for drugs to be able to be used in hospitals to kill patients, like Greta pointed out with remdesivir, an EUA may be issued only if FDA, so that the one approving the EUA also gets to decide. So only if FDA concludes there is no adequate approved and available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition, end quote. So they approved remdesivir under a EUA. So you think, how could this possibly be? We have hydroxychloroquine, we have ivermectin, and what they did, the government shut down both of the studies for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. They, they null and voided both the studies so they could approve remdesivir. So now remdesivir gets EUA authorization. And in April of 2022, 
it, you know, now we already have two plus years into this, people are dying from remdesivir, but they extended the authorization to apply remdesivir to anybody that's older than 28 days old. So babies, it became the only authorized treatment for even babies. And then the final nail in the coffin was when the FDA issued the emergency use authorization for the vaccine bioweapon. And this is so egregious. So we were seeing the died suddenly and all those things, but it, it's way worse than what people think. You know, so people are getting disabled, they're getting cancer, they're dying from the bioweapon. And, but what really is the deal? So I was studying the Brooke Jackson lawsuit. So Brooke Jackson, for the people who are not familiar, was a Pfizer employee. She saw what was going on and became a whistleblower. And on January 8th of 2021, she filed a False Claims Act lawsuit against Pfizer, saying that Pfizer defrauded the government because they deliberately withheld crucial information from the United States that calls for the safety and efficacy of their vaccine. Okay, so she files this lawsuit. Pfizer, Pfizer's defense, they produced what was called an OCA contract, other contract authority agreement with the Department of Defense. That contract was for a prototype and that contract did not require any testing. It was never for a vaccine. So again, this is in the you can't make this up department. When I saw this, I could hardly believe it. But what makes it even worse? So, so she files the lawsuit. Pfizer's defense is, hey, we have a contract. We have no obligation to provide any safety or efficacy data because we're not even making a vaccine. We're making a prototype. Then inconceivably, so now this case is in play on October 4th of 2022, so three months ago, the United States government came to Pfizer's defense and added what's called the United States Statement of Interest Supporting Dismissal of the Amended Complaint. So Pfizer, of course, wants the complaint dismissed because they have a contract with, with the military. The government adds to that request for dismissal, and I'm going to quote right out of what the government wrote. It says that, in short, the complaint does not plead factual content to support a conclusion that compliance with clinical trial protocol or regulations was necessary under the contract between Pfizer and the Army. So the, our own government is saying what Pfizer said is true. They didn't have to do anything because they weren't producing a vaccine. They were producing a prototype. And obviously we know now it's it's really a bioweapon. It, it was never a vaccine. It was never intended to be a vaccine. It was meant to be a bioweapon under a military contract. So, you know, this took me, when I saw this, Rob, it, it was a couple of days to get that percolated through my head because it's it, it's so big. But I mean, I have the documents. I, I sent the documents to you. You can put them either in the show notes or on the screen if you want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's insidious the way they've got it. I mean, it's just a, a giant tangled web of uh money laundering really um well what what i was shocked at is is the the length that they went to do this legally so literally every t is crossed and every i dotted so they they came up with propaganda to promote a supposed virus uh, you know, and then through fear, got everybody to buy into the propaganda. Then they contract with Pfizer to produce a bioweapon that was never a vaccine. So people are clamoring for a vaccine because they're fearful. It was never a vaccine. So they get, you know, hundreds of millions of people in just in our country to take this thing. Now the people are having reactions to it all the reactions are immune from liability under the PrEP Act. And then if people get into the hospital, they have that lane covered too through bonus payments and the shroud of secrecy because the family can't go in the, the room with the patient. I mean, it is, it's so, uh, 
it is so hard to, you know, people who are awake understand what I'm saying. They probably haven't connected all those dots, but the people who are not awake, this is too much to take in. That's, you know, so, you know, when I talk to people that, you know, they say, well, how are things going? You know, how do you even start? You know, you have to ask them, um, you know, things like, have you heard about Agenda 2030? Have you, you know, yeah, right. do, you, do you think the vaccine is real? You've got to ask some opening questions because you got to figure out where are they even starting? Because mm -hmm. they could never, you know, what I just shared with you, uh, you know, you're, you're one of a very select piece of the population that would even believe what I'm talking about. And yet the information is right out there for people to find if they just look. So. It is. I mean, I have every single document backing up what I just said. Anyone in our audience have any questions or comments? Um, this is your opportunity. Just raise your hand. So, okay. Well, we'll we will move on. Um, you know, there are... Um, well, before we get into that, I want to talk about your uh, talk about your uh, your TV. You have a TV program of your own on the internet, don't you? It, it's not really a TV program, but it is my own podcast. I started it uh, the beginning of November, I think it was. It's called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. It's on. We have our own uh, channel on Rumble, is where things get posted. But the reason it got started is because when I looked at the things that. Um, I've learned since Grace was murdered. You know, at first you you can't believe your daughter's going gone. Then you start researching, and then you realize what happened, and then you keep going. And ultimately, I realize for me personally, the reason Grace was murdered when I put the onus on me is because I was programmed to trust the white coat. I was programmed to believe the hospitals are safe zones. And so that's why it's called deprogramming with Grace's dad, because, um, you know, Grace died so that I could be deprogrammed, that I could wake up. And uh, I, well, you know, I you, you didn't always you didn't always have to be. You, there was a time when you could trust the white coats. Um, yes. Unfortunately. Probably those days are gone. So. Well, I agree. You can see on the on the screen here. You see Karen Mueller is the second one down. So last week, uh, there she presented the case in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court for a man, uh, John Singzheim. So what his situation was is he was in a hospital. They told him he's going to die. They put him on remdesivir and a ventilator. His power of attorney stepped in and said, no, we want to give him ivermectin. The hospital refused. So they took it to um, circuit court. They got an injunction. Ultimately, the appeals court overrode the circuit court. And, you know, John Zingsheim made it. He ended up being on a ventilator for 100 days in the hospital for 10 months. He made it because the family snuck him ivermectin because the hospital wouldn't allow it. So that case uh, went before the Wisconsin Supreme Court last week, and you know, it should be 30 days or so. We'll hear the decision. But I mean, it's painfully obvious. Is the Is the hospitals promoting their standard of care is that more important than a patient's rights? I mean, the patient's right to care and the care of their choice has to be more important than a hospital standard of care. I mean, I, I can't even believe we're having this as a court case, but it's at the Supreme Court level. It's a big case. Yeah. yeah. Well, Karen just sent me an article, um, which um, because our newspaper, our printed newspaper is monthly, I wouldn't be able to get it out until after, until our next issue, which is middle of February. But I'm going to be posting that on our website um, tomorrow, um, so you can read uh, Karen's article tomorrow at WisconsinChristianNews.com. So, and and there you <laughs> watch watch the interview there with with Scott. Well, that uh, one on the on the webs on the deprogramming tab here is actually me talking about the case. When I talk, we're talking about the case. Okay. Yeah, so Karen said, Scott, I think you should do your own first because I had her on today as a guest. That'll be posted tomorrow on this channel. And okay. she wanted me to um, get my perspective out of the way before I, I interviewed her so that we could stay really on, on her comments on the case. So we did that today and uh, she really laid it out well. And you've had some uh, some very uh, 
excellent guests on on your on your program. Um, in fact, you introduced me to Alex Newman, who is now going to be speaking at our conference coming up in April. So, so thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. You know, Alex Newman is um, he was probably the best guest that I had. Mm. Uh, the material in in his podcast with me was outstanding. Alex is is maybe the well, he's he's certainly in the top five of people who are awake. He is so smart. Um, he's he is a solid Christian man. Uh, he is awake, and he he has dedicated his life to the same thing that you and I are are doing, Rob. But his his view is global. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm in the hospital lane. Um, you have a lot bigger platform than I do, and Alex is is got the entire world as his platform. Yeah, we actually had him on the show, I think, three weeks ago. So, um, but uh, anyway, there are alternatives to the big industrial complex hospitals and clinics out there. Um, there's independent doctors opening offices, um, and um, yep, there's one in Wausau. We have that one on the yep. the website. Genesis Primary Care, Doctor David yes. Lang. And uh, if you go to genesisprimarycare.com, you can find out all the information there. Um, that's the doctor that we're using now since my other doctor retired <laughs> at the end of December. Um, uh, Dr. Lang has, it's 85 bucks a month for your whole family. You can see him as often as you want. And um, um, he's not entangled with any of the um, the big medical industrial monster so and uh, i probably if he's people in other parts of the country if you search in your area you'll probably find something similar because these things are springing up all over as doctors are leaving those things uh, on the resource tab so for people outside of wisconsin we do have a link for join the wedge and that is a nationwide um so on the resources yeah so go to the, the first so you see the wisconsin one so that's where the so yeah so let's let's go down to uh, i know it's hard to keep your own the future of health care future yeah. of health care where's second that? one second one from the okay. top second row from the top there you go there we go if you click on that You'll see. So this this is a community where the the doctors and nurses who have started their own practices can join and get you know so people can find these um, individuals who have left the Great. have left the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I just uh, you know I hope and pray for those those doctors that do things like this because I I know that um, in the past when they've tried. Uh, they have been crushed by the um, by the big clinics and hospitals. So, well, there's enough people awake that you know they're supporting these things. So it, it's a different it's different today. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so I I'm on the same page with you. I hope that people will support these type of situations and not rely on their insurance because as soon yeah. as you start saying, well, will my insurance pay for this? you start realizing the insurance companies are part of the problem. They they are the ones that have pushed standards of care since I did some research on this. Uh, since the 80s, they've been pushing standards of care for the sole purpose of reducing costs. Yeah. Well, and then we, we read stories about the insurance companies having 400% increases in excess deaths year over year. So um, I don't know. It's not going to end well. Scott, we're down to about a minute here. Last words. Well, I'd, I'd like to have anybody that is uh, paying attention to what you've showed the Grace's website. I'd like you to look at the stories about Grace. So when you look at the videos, the pictures of Grace, get to know her. Uh, she had a love for our Lord that is different than anybody I've ever met. She just, she, she didn't have all the baggage that we have from walking around on this earth. She just, she didn't judge people um, the way that I do. She doesn't, she just doesn't have that. She just had a natural love for, 
for our Lord. And it's uh, it's wonderful to get to know her. Thanks for showing these pictures here. And as far as what you can do, the thing that I would encourage anybody to do is take this message and any message that has the truth and share it with everybody in your contact list. Because yeah. if a thousand people watch this, for example, and every one of the thousand shares it, with the hundred people in their contact list, all of a sudden now we have a hundred thousand people who have heard the message. And exactly. that really is our our strength is getting this message out to more than just yourself. So use your talents that God has given you to at a minimum share the message. Great. So uh Scott's uh website is ouramazinggrace.net. And that is going to about do it for us today here. Next week, I'll be back with you again. And my guest will be John uh, John Whitehead. <laughs> I always mess that up. John Whitehead from the Rutherford Institute. So we'll see you this time next week. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.